0: I'm easily scared at night, and just a couple weeks ago, we were, uh, uh, it was middle of the night, and for some reason, I I see the hallway light comes on in in the middle of the night, and so I just kind of come awake, and I notice the lights on, and I'm thinking, oh, one of the boys are going to the bathroom. Uh, Pretty normal thing to happen, nothing too out of the ordinary, except the light just kind of stays on. It keeps going, so I don't know how much Time has passed because I'm half awake, half asleep. So I decide, hey, I'm just gonna go check on the bathroom and make sure that they're doing um, okay. And I walk into the bathroom and there's no one in the bathroom. And then I go and I walk and I check in on the boys and they are just sound asleep under their covers and haven't even moved. At that point, I had the chills coming up my spine saying, how, what in the heck is going on and who is flipping light switches on in our house because everybody's dead asleep. So I was about ready. If that happens again, we might just torch our house to the ground and start over. All right, Robert, I'll be calling you in case that happens. Um, anyway, these guys are, are, are thinking they're seeing a ghost Kind of the, the, the idea behind what they're feeling. You saw that there was disbelief and, and joy. It's, it's one of those, like, I don't believe what I'm seeing, or this is, this is too good to be true, some of those statements that we would make today. They're just shocked. They're, they're stunned as to they, they saw what happened to Jesus, and now they are seeing Jesus alive. And, and if you've ever seen anyone who was dead and then alive again, you would be freaking out too, all right? So that's the state that they're in. Um, I want to tackle this idea of doubt today. He said, why are your hearts so filled with doubt? And I know in, in, the, in the church world, in the church community, the idea of doubt can bring a lot of tension with it. The idea of asking questions about your faith Pointed questions, big questions can come with the sense of like, hey, just ignore those or, or don't ask those questions. Or it can be like you're, you're, you're less spiritual if, you're da- if you doubt. And I understand kind of the heart behind that is because doubt in some ways, you've seen it with other people and maybe even amongst yourselves, doubt has the opportunity to take you out. Like someone starts asking questions about their faith and then all of a sudden it's like a house of cards and they're like, I'm walking away from God. I'm walking away from Christianity. I'm walking away from church. I'm walking away from this whole, this whole thing. I'm done with it. But I, I want to not give in to that today. I want to, as a pastor, we have we have said here at Freedom Church, uh, doubt can take you out or doubt can lead to discovery. Like to be able to have the freedom to ask big questions, to ask tough questions. If our faith is true, if our faith is the truth, it should be able to handle tough questions. So we say, hey, lean into your questions. Ask. Be curious. I believe on the other side, you might find discovery. And so we want to create open dialogue here at Freedom Church rather than shut down those those conversations. I remember being a youth pastor for 10 years here in Los Alamos, and there was several times, and it, it confused me at first, and then I kind of realized, okay, here's what's taking place. But we would create a space that was safe for people to ask questions, specifically teenagers. And and when you're a teenager and you give a safe place to ask questions, they're going to start asking. And teenagers, I love working with them because they can be real. They're honest. And and so they can talk about their doubts and their struggles. Well, we would have a handful of cases or so that would come along where, where teenagers would ask questions, but then they'd just walk away from their faith. Or they'd ask, I don't know if I really believe in God. You know, and as a parent, that kind of freaks you out when, you're, when your child starts talking like that because you're just like, oh, what? what's happened to my kid? What's happened to my teenager? But what I have found was I was like, oh, are we just creating a youth ministry that's leading people towards atheism? Like, what is going on here? No, they're right on the edge of discovery. They're right on the edge of owning this faith for their own. They're at a decision point to say, am I going to live this out because my parents do? Or am I going to live this out because I'm going to own my faith? There were some things that were happening in their questioning that you could see this word ownership kind of coming. And so it's not necessarily a bad thing to come to these things because we're trying to figure out what is this all about for me? Because at the end of the day, I, my faith isn't between my parents and me and God. It's, it's me and God. And each one of us have to answer that question, who is Jesus in our lives? and deal with that. And as adults, we doubt too. It's not just teenagers that have questions. Adults, you have them as well. We, we, we wonder why this God, who we love, who's so personal, is so invisible and intangible and so mysterious at times. And it makes us question, it makes us wonder, is he there? Does he even care? Does he even see the negative circumstances that are in my life? Does he even recognize that they've been there for a long, long time? And why is he not moving? Does he not even care about my unhappiness or my pain and my suffering in these moments? And when God doesn't seem to be moving, we have questions too. If you struggle with doubt, you are not less spiritual. You are human. Okay, every body, myself included, at times will be like, is this thing real? Is what I believe real? If you're an atheist, you question your atheism. If you're a Buddhist, you question your Buddhism. We're Christians here, and sometimes we have questions too. But I'm also going to do some things that are healthy to, to go, and I'm not going to be lazy about my doubt. I'm going to go after answers. I'm going to go and, and surround myself with, with people, and I'm going to seek God and, and try to work through those things. Um, it says in here that, um, well, there's another scripture, John chapter 20, that I want to read. We read out of Luke. John has, uh, he captures the same moment in this room, too. And I want to, I'm going to kind of bounce between John and Luke today, but I want to read John's version of this as well. It says that Sunday in John chapter 20, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Why? Because the Jewish leaders just killed Jesus. They were Jesus' best friends. They were the leaders. They're next. So you can imagine and you understand why they might be afraid. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he says. And he showed them his wounds in his hands and his sides, and they were filled with joy, and they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you, as the Father has also sent me, so I am sending you. A few things that are, that are happening here. One is Jesus, the first thing he says to them is peace. Now, can you imagine how comforting that phrase would have been to those guys right there? If we take just a moment to think about the last 48 hours, 72 hours of what had transpired in their lives with Jesus, Jesus comes into the room and he says, peace be with you. Those guys had just deserted him, betrayed him, denied even knowing him, left him, and and now he shows up in the room, he's alive, after being crucified and dead they know who he is they know that he's super powerful they have seen his ministry for the past several years they got to be shaking in their boots <laughs> they got to be they're like oh my gosh we're not, what's he going to say when he shows them in the room what is coming next i would be scared that he's like you guys are out <laughs> you just denied me you just betrayed me you just left on me like you're done. Like you are toast. Hell right now. Boom. There you go. What's what's he going to say? Peace. I remember when Rita and I were, were first dating. And actually we weren't first dating. We were just we were dating. And um, I uh, we went out on a date one night and we were taking her, I took her back to her house, and right before um, she went to her house. I gave her a hug, and i I whispered for the first time into her ear. I said, "I love you and And some of you guys, you know this story uh she kind of just paused for us I could just feel like this like her muscles just kind of flinch a little bit, and she goes, "Thank you <laughs> and I, I i my heart just sank because I was like, "Oh no." You just ruined this, right? We'd been dating for about a month. I said, I love you. She said, thank you. And we awkwardly say goodbye, and she just goes into her house. And I, I was like, that's it. The, the relationship was done. And I think we had maybe a, just a couple messages here and there, but we basically did not talk for a week. And all week long, I'm thinking this, I've just ruined something great here. And, what, and, and her view of love, by the way, was, was awesome. She's like, Mike, w- w- when we talked about this later, I'm only going to say I love you to, to one man. Like that, I hold that word love in high regard. Me, I'm like, it's a feeling. I feel like I like you. Therefore, I had a very low standard on what love was. I, I had no idea. Anyway, so she taught me something right away. So I just said, I said, hey, I like you. So therefore, I have the feelings. Therefore, I love you. And um, so she didn't talk to me for like a week. And, I, and I'm like, this, we're, we're, I've ruined it. We're done. I come home about a week later, and on my door of my apartment is this tiny little card uh, in the window and it says Mike? And I'm like, ooh, what, what is this? There was something, I just had a hunch that this was from Rita. And I opened it up and it's this cute little card with two little bears and it says, You and I make the perfect hug. And I, when I read that card, I was like, I'm back, I'm it. <laughs> I didn't know what the next thing was going to come out of her mouth. It was like, we're done. I hate you. You crossed the line. You're out. That's what I thought was going to happen. And, but I get this little card that says, it's okay. And from there, we have a conversation about the definition of love and, you know, the rest of the story or whatever. These guys, they're in that moment. He walks in. Who knows what he is going to say? And the first thing he says is peace. It's, it's, it's this, the idea that we are okay. In a way, he's kind of helping them restore their identity. Sometimes we have doubts. Sometimes we struggle in our faith. Isaiah, you're going to get baptized in a little bit. I, as we're doing this message, man, a lot of my heart, and as I'm preparing this message, just has been like, man, if it's just me and you, I want to say some things to you. I'm saying it to everybody. But we all know you're going to journey through this life of faith and there's going to be t- times when things come and they hit, and you're going to question, "Am I? Am I worth it? Does God even like me? I mean, I screwed up big time. I have messed this thing up. I have denied God in this way, in this way, in this way. And here He is saying, "I know you've done those things, but peace. Let me let me just." Tell you who you are. I know what you think of you and how you define you, or maybe how someone else defines you. But when you're struggling with that, and you're kind of questioning who you are, see how God defines you. And he says, we're good. We are good. Nothing changed, boys. And so he's given them a little bit of, let me set you on a firm foundation and restore a little bit of of your identity. We have a spiritual enemy, Satan. You know what he loves to do? He does not have victory. Satan has not won. He can't steal your salvation from you. He can't snatch you out of Jesus' hands. It's already locked. You're good. Knowing that he can't rob you of that, he will use other tactics to rob you. He will use discouragement. He will use division. He will use doubt in your life. He will use disappointment to get you sidetracked, distracted, and off focus of what God wants you to do. The first thing Jesus does is set a foundation to say, this is is how our relationship is right now. Peace. Peace. He's going to come and try. Satan would love nothing more for you to get focused in on how you've screwed up or how this situation isn't going, and then you, 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 he does not want you to know who you are with God, to have a solid confidence of how your relationship with God is, because then you walk out knowing who you are, whose you are, you walk out of here standing in freedom, unchained, living on purpose, he wants no part of that, so he is going to discourage you, he is going to distract you, he is going like, to, just think about all those ways that you messed up, to try to paralyze you and keep you stuck. Jesus walks in the door and says, peace. Let's start right there. You have a relationship with God, peace. You have peace with God, and he wants you to have the peace of God. Second thing that he does, the very next verse, he says, "He says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So these guys have just screwed it up big time. They they were the ones leading the way with Jesus. And he says, we're good. Very next sentence is, you have purpose. You have the peace of God and your purpose hasn't changed. I'm sending you. Nothing changed, which should be great for us. This isn't just for the 12 disciples or, or, you know, well, they lost Judas. Thomas says, we'll see in a second, he's not there. So there's 10 of them, 10 disciples, but there's other people in the room. If you read in the context, there's the guy on the, the guys on the road to Emmaus, they're there. All right. So this message of so I am sending you, just as the Father has sent me, you are to go be just like that, Jesus, to other people. That's every one of us. Anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus, you have this same command. As the Father sent Jesus, now that same Father is sending you. You Messed up you, broken you, questioning you, the one who doesn't have all the answers, the one who's still struggling with sin, who still deals with temptation. He says, Guess what? I'm still with you. I'm with you, peace, and we're going. This is a message for all of us. So he he establishes here peace, purpose, and the last thing is passion. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin because we believe he had a twin, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. And they told him, We have seen the Lord. They were Sunday night, locked up in a room, afraid of what might happen to them if they were caught outside of that room. Now they have a decision to make. They saw the risen Lord. He gave them a a right standing. He said, hey, we're good in standing. He gave them purpose. They have a decision to make. Are we going to go live this thing out? Yes or no? And we see the very next words out of their mouth is, he's alive. He's alive and we're telling people. He's alive and we're telling people. They have a passion to go and live this thing out. These disciples had no reason to carry this thing on, especially if it wasn't true. They they knew if they carried this thing on, there was probably dark days ahead. Not everyone in Jerusalem was going to be happy that they were going to continue to spread this message. But they could not deny what they had seen and heard, their God sightings. They could not deny what, what Jesus had done in their life. So they go and they tell. They went from locked up and chained up to free and on mission. Now, continuing on with, with Thomas. They told Thomas, he's alive. Thomas wasn't there that first night. We don't know why. Thomas, who did not see Jesus on that first night, said, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds on his hands, unless I put my fingers into them and I place my hand into the wounds on his side. Thomas is like, I ain't believing until I see it. And he plays down, lays down some pretty hard stipulations. Why wasn't Thomas in the room? The Bible does not tell us. I, I like to speculate sometimes. Sometimes I wonder why people aren't in the room when it comes to church. And I used to think in my early days of of pastoring that people didn't come to church because they didn't care. Maybe, maybe not. But I've also come to learn as a a pastor and and kind of grow up and mature from that, that statement. Sometimes people aren't there because they care so much. Sometimes people have invested so much of their lives into something. They have given so much of themselves and poured out so much into themselves. And then they experience some sort of hurt or pain or grief. And it is because they cared so much that the wounds were so deep and they had to be away for a while. Thomas had just been through the past 72 hours of a whirlwind where he saw the guy that he invested everything in die where he was scared that he might be next. He saw all the other guys who, not only Thomas, but those other guys stood up and said, oh, we'll never leave you, Jesus. We're with you all the way. Even if we have to die, we're with you, man, 100%. And he saw those same guys backstab him, betray him, lie, and leave him for dead. Maybe Thomas wasn't there because he cared. He was hurting. He was in pain. We don't know. We don't know. But I, 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 sometimes I kind of speculate, man. There, I would be. I, I don't bag on Thomas for having questions. I don't bag on Thomas for being out of the room. What I what I love about Thomas is the very next verse. It says, eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time, Thomas was with them." So this is important. If you've been hurt, you cared so much, and then you were like, you know what? I'm. I got I to gotta get away for a while or whatever. I get it. I'm there. But you also got to fight to get back in the room. You got to fight to get back in the room. I give Thomas credit because eight days later, he was back with the guys. They had said it, and now he's back with them. The only thing is he had eight more days of worry, eight more days of anxiety, eight more days of uncertainty. He had not seen what they had seen. Had he been in the room, he wouldn't have missed it. And I think for some of you, this is important. Some of you, you need to know. God works in this room and in this space. All right? God works when you open up your Bible and you let him speak into your life on a daily basis. Don't miss what God has for you. Because you might go eight more days of anxiety and worry about that situation. Eight more weeks, eight more months, eight more years. It ain't worth it. Fight to get back in the room with other people so you can experience God's presence in your life. Fight to crack open the Bible again and just let God speak into your lives. Eight days later, this time Thomas was there. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Ninja Jesus. Did you know that Ninja Jesus is in the Bible? Like he just keeps walking through locked doors. I don't know how he does it. It's awesome. All right. This is how I read the Bible, by the way. You can laugh at the Bible sometimes, or you can laugh at my dad dad jokes, but I like that Ninja Jesus shows up right here. Here he says, peace be with you. Same thing. Same thing. And then he goes right to Thomas. What a great Savior that we have. What a great Lord that we have. That he knows He knew what Thomas said. He knew what he had said eight days before. And he comes right to him and he says, peace. And he goes right to him to address the very issue with Thomas. Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand on on the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. Stop becoming faithless, but become a believer. That's kind of the literal translation. And now it's decision time. It's Thomas's literal come to Jesus moment. What's he going to do? Now he has a decision to make. You can imagine how tense it is in the room in this moment. Are they going to, is he going to take a step towards Jesus or is it, or is it breakup time? Rita and I, when we were dating, we came to this moment. We had been dating for several months and it was like, you know what? We need to have a conversation are we getting married or do we just need to allow each other to, to move on our own paths like there it was an opportunity for us where it was like we need to nail what is happening here in this relationship and we just knew we needed to have it so I remember we we're sitting out on the front porch of my house and we just had that conversation is this our, like we loved each other it wasn't any fight or anything that's going on but it came a certain point where like guys, you got to have that conversation. I'm not going to continue to string her along and, and play games. I'm going to support her because there was a time when I'm like, hey, she could go to college. She could go do this. She could do that. Or are we going like, to be together and try to figure this thing out? And we had that moment. Fortunately, we were like, hey, I want to get married. And we we're like, okay. And a week later, I bought a ring and put a ring on it because I liked it, right? Uh, uh, so anyway, they have this come to Jesus moment. What are we doing with this relationship, Thomas? For many of us, we kind of have had those moments with God, too. Are you going to take a step away from God because of that thing that happened in your life? Those questions that you have that maybe haven't been answered yet or that thing you are still asking we asked last week, why? Why would you allow this to happen? And we're not dismissing the pain, but those things. And you can step away from God. But knowing that I'm stepping away from God, then I maybe I step towards another religion. Okay, you could do that. But if you, any other religion outside of Christianity is a works-based religion, if you want to break it down in a nutshell. You have to do something in order to be made right with God. Christianity is the only one that says you are saved by grace through faith. And it is not by your works. It is a gift of God. So you could take a step towards another religion, but then you have to work for it. You could say, well, I, I don't, I'm not going to follow another religion. I'd just be spiritual. It could be any of them. i just, but then you're just making up your own God at that point. Basically, you are God because you're just making up the rules as you go. That doesn't, that doesn't, I'm, I'm terrible at being God and Making decisions that doesn't sound like it's it's good either. You could go the atheism route too, which we talked about last week. Hey, if you go the there is no God, well then there's no such thing as morals. There's no value. There there, there's no there's no you. There's no meaning. There's no and I don't know if I could check all those boxes either. What are you going to do with Jesus? You can take a step away, but you got to understand what you're stepping towards if you're stepping away, or you can step towards Jesus. I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. But at the same time, this guy was dead, and now he's alive. And he showed up in my life, and he says, I love you, and I want a relationship with you. He gives me purpose in life. He gives me healing. Thomas' answer, Thomas's answer, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. He believed. He believes. Jesus didn't, didn't uh, did try to change his mind. He's like, yeah, you got it right, man. You got that one right. I like how he says, my Lord and my God, not these guys' Lord or your, your God or whatever. He goes, this is mine. You are my Lord and you are my Savior. Two questions we've got to ask, and then I'm going to close it out because I know we've got baptisms to go to. Anytime you're struggling with doubt, whatever you're dealing with, you've got to ask, is it true? Is it true? Is it true about Jesus? Is it true that he, he really raised from the dead? Is it true that he can really save? If I'm banking on him, that his, his death on the cross, it saved me from my sins, that he rose from the dead and now I'm going to spend eternity with him. Is it true? You got to settle that down. But also you got to ask, is it worth it? When it comes down to, am I putting my faith and trust into somebody? Is it true? Is it worth it? Because you might come to the conclusion that it's true, but I'm not, I'm not willing to count the cost and, and, and walk that path. Each one of these guys Got died. They were martyrs for their faith. Brutally. Is it worth it? Is it true? Is it true? Is it worth it? Am I gonna if I give my life to Christ, there's probably gonna be some people that aren't happy about it. Is it worth it? You got to count the cost on these things. If you're a believer in God, if you're a believer in Jesus if he died on the cross for your sins and he really did raise from the grave and you want a relationship with him, you come and settle this moment, it is everything, this commitment. It is not some casual thing that he's calling us to. So when these guys come here today and they say, hey, I'm following Jesus with my life and we're gonna celebrate and clap at the same time, you know this, you know this, it demands everything. to say that he is my, my, my Lord. Not only my Savior, but he is my Lord, meaning I'm not going to live for me anymore. He's calling the shots. When he speaks, I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to go live that out. Never easy. Never easy, but always better. And that's what we're declaring today. My Lord and my God. Let's stand. Let's stand and, and, and uh, have a time of prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that we can come here like Thomas, like those other disciples. We can be afraid. We can be astonished. We can be a bit in disbelief. We can be like Thomas, who's, I ain't going to believe unless... And then there you are to help lead us into discovery of who you are and, and who you believe about us. <laughs> so, I, Father, I just pray for those in the room that they feel ashamed and condemned or full of regret. I just pray that your, your love and your mercy and your grace would just be very present and evident in, your, in their life. Father, if there's changes that we need to make, then for sure, let us know. Tell us those changes. Maybe there's something we need to stop. Maybe there's something we need to start. Maybe, maybe, uh, we need to, our next step is to get baptized. Maybe we need to, to, to settle those things down. Maybe we need to serve a, I don't know what it is, but if you got a next step for us, show us. For some of us in the room today, this, this issue of who is Jesus? Is it true? Is it worth it? We've never really settled that in our heart. If we were to die today and stand before our creator in heaven, we don't know how that conversation would go. It scares us to death. I want to tell you, friend, if that's you here today, you don't have to walk out of here wondering, when I stand before my holy and awesome creator, what is he going to say? You don't have to be afraid of that moment. You can nail that down right here, right now, because that is exactly why Jesus came. And that's why he could walk into that room to those guys who had just denied him, who had just betrayed him and said, peace, because Jesus had won that victory. For some of you in here today, maybe your next step of faith is your very first step of faith to say yes to him. You are my Lord, you are my savior. I turn from my sin and I accept your forgiveness and your salvation. If that- Thank you again for taking the time to listen to the podcast this week.